O Lord, open your word to us now, we pray, and open our hearts to your word. And we pray that you would do in us, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in us today. Amen. Would you please be seated? Our text this morning is Romans 9, verse 30, to chapter 10, verse 4. And you'll remember if you were here last Sunday, that in our passage last week, Paul was lamenting that his fellow Jews are, for the most part, cut off from Christ. Even though they belong to the family that was chosen by God to bring salvation to the world, they have so far failed to benefit from that salvation because they've rejected the Christ by whom it came. And so as we come to our passage this morning, Paul is still helping the Christians at Rome, some of them probably Jewish Christians like Paul himself, he's helping them think through that tragedy. And Paul's purpose here in this passage is to show why so many of his fellow Jews can never grab hold of the thing they're striving for. Why they can never grab hold of it unless they come to Christ. So Paul starts off in chapter 9, verses 30 to 32, by giving us this summary of the situation. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. Right away, Paul puts his finger on the fundamental problem with his fellow Jews who remain outside of Christ. They were pursuing righteousness, but they could never reach it because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Now they were pursuing righteousness, and that's a very good thing. They wanted to be right with God, and they wanted to live according to his will, to follow the path of goodness laid down in his law. Later in our passage, in chapter 10, verse 3, Paul says of them, they have a zeal for God. That's a very good thing. We should have zeal, enthusiasm for God. It's good to have zeal for God and zeal for good works, for doing the things of God. So Paul's fellow Jews had a good goal. They had admirable intentions. They were pursuing righteousness. They had a zeal for God. So, what went wrong? Meanwhile, Paul says the Gentiles were not pursuing righteousness. Now, be fair, Paul, we might think. Surely some Gentiles also wanted to be good and to do good. But by comparison with Israel, it is fair to say this. It's absolutely fair to say that the Gentiles were not pursuing righteousness. Think of some other ancient peoples in the ancient world. If you think of the Romans, what were they up to? They were conquering the whole Mediterranean, building roads, putting up enormous statues all over the place. If you think of the ancient Chinese, what were they up to? Making fine silk garments and beautiful ceramics, inventing paper, inventing the compass. The ancient Polynesians were traveling all around the Pacific Ocean in their canoes. The ancient Aztecs were building cool pyramids. The Gentiles were doing lots of stuff. But meanwhile, what was Israel doing? What was Israel focused on? 
Israel was pursuing the law of righteousness. That was their whole national project, their whole national identity, their whole society and the whole life of every individual within it was organized around zealous observance of God's law. The way they worked, the way they rested, the way they traveled, the way they ate, the way they planned their year, and the way they planned their week, in their prayer life, in the bedroom, in their personal finances, in everything they did, both when it was convenient and when it was inconvenient. Religious Jews of Paul's day strove to put God's law into practice, much as religious Jews still do in our day. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, Paul says. They're passionate about obeying him and putting his law into practice. Indeed, it seems like we could learn a thing or two from them, right? So then, what is it that went so wrong? How can it be that Paul's fellow Jews, pursuing righteousness with great zeal and effort and discipline, doing what no other people in the world were doing, did not succeed in reaching their goal? Well, the answer, as we've heard, is simple. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Now, don't misunderstand Paul here. He's not saying that righteousness has nothing to do with works. No, good works always go hand in hand with righteousness, but as the fruit of righteousness, the product of it, not as its foundation. Righteousness produces good works, but it is not based on good works. And this is a crucial distinction. Because all through this letter to the Romans, Paul has been insisting that there is only one way to get right with God. There is only one way to be justified, to be righteous in his sight. And it's not by works. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're justified, made righteous, not by our feeble works, but by the mighty work of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the only work that can make us right with God. God has mercifully chosen to be the justifier of all those who have faith in Jesus. And that's why we can be justified. That's why if we do have faith in Jesus if we do trust him and depend on him and believe his promise, then we are justified, Paul says. We are righteous. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, Paul says. We have attained it. He's talking about Gentile Christians like us. We have attained righteousness. By faith, we have received from God a righteousness based not on works, but on Christ. God has justified us in Christ and he's given us a new life through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has made a home in us, dwells in us, so that we actually become alive to God. Of course, we continue to struggle with sin, don't we? But actually that struggle is a sign of what God is doing. Because every day the Spirit is waging war against sin in our hearts and transforming our hearts to be more like the heart of God. And this is where our works do come into the picture, right? Not as the basis of our righteousness, but as the fruit of the righteousness that we've received as a free gift from Christ. 
If we have faith in Jesus, then we've received his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will renew our hearts. And that will result in good works. And so at every level, our righteousness as Christians is based on God's righteousness. It depends on Jesus' righteous offering of himself on the cross as a propitiation for our sins. It depends on the Spirit's righteous work in our hearts day by day. And ultimately it depends on the Father's righteous decision before the foundation of the world to love us and to have mercy on us. At every level, our righteousness depends on and flows from God's. That's what the righteousness of a Christian is like. A righteousness that is by faith, as Paul puts it. But this is exactly what Paul's fellow Jews are missing. He says in chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Yes, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Their zeal is a fatally ignorant zeal, because they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean they don't know that God is righteous. No, of course, any Jew does know that and would affirm it. But they're ignorant of what that means for them. They don't know, or else they refuse to accept, that in Christ, God is offering his righteousness to all people as a free gift. And so, tragically, all their zeal, all their energy that they pour into good works, means nothing. In fact, it's worse than nothing. Not only will they never reach the righteousness that they're pursuing, they actually have become opponents of God's righteousness. Now remember, these are the people who outwardly were submitting to God's law in every way. It looked like they were obeying God. Whatever they read in his law, they tried to put into practice in their works. But Paul says precisely of those people that they did not submit to God's righteousness. Their zeal, their good works, even their obedience to God's law, was in reality a rebellion and a rejection of God's righteousness. Because in everything they were doing, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. To establish themselves before God as good enough to merit his favor on the basis of their works. And doing that, they showed how far their hearts were from true repentance and true faith. God wants us to come before him confessing that we're sinners and that we have no right to his good gifts, but trusting that because of what he has done for us in Jesus, we have forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption as God's beloved children. That's how God wants us to come before him. But Paul's fellow Jews, and Paul himself before he became a Christian, were instead seeking to establish their own righteousness before God. And as they tried to come before God like that, on that footing, 
They stumbled. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, Paul says in verses 32 and 33 at the center of our passage. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul is actually combining here a couple of different passages from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord tells the people of Israel that he will be to them like a stone. To all who believe in him, he'll be like a foundation stone. Whatever faith builds on top of this sturdy base will be strong and secure forever. But to all who do not believe in him, who don't take him into account, he will be a rock of offense. Not paying attention to him, they will stumble over him and fall on him and be broken. And Paul says that this prophecy has now come true in Christ. For all those who come to Jesus in faith, he is a sure foundation for righteousness. Now a foundation is only the start. It's not just the start of a building project, is it? It is the start. But all along, even long after the building is finished, the foundation is the thing that the whole building rests on forever. And that's what the righteousness of a Christian is like. It starts with Christ, and it depends on Christ forever. So that even when at the resurrection, the Spirit of God completes his perfecting work in us, and our hearts are wholly pure and good for the first time ever, even then... Our righteousness will really belong to God, not to ourselves. Even then, we won't say to God, look on me with favor because now I'm good enough. I have righteousness in myself. No, even then, we will forever say to God, I don't have any righteousness of my own that could ever justify me in your sight. But because of the mercy you've shown me in Christ, I know that I really am justified. And because of the mercy you show me in the Holy Spirit, I know that I really am bearing fruit. So any righteousness that I have, Lord, is only what you, in your righteousness, have given me. That's how we must come before God today. That's how we'll come before God forever. He will always be the foundation. The foundation on which our whole righteousness rests and the source from which it flows. And God makes us this promise that whoever believes in him, whoever depends on Jesus in this way, whoever pursues righteousness by faith in him will not be put to shame. If we build on Christ as our foundation stone, if we rely on him to be our righteousness now and forever, we will not be put to shame. We will surely receive the thing that we're pursuing. But if we do not build on this foundation stone, if instead we try to establish a righteousness of our own, then we'll trip over that stone and fall on it and be broken. And dear people of St. Aidan's, this is not a warning only for the unbelieving Jews of Paul's day. It's a warning for all people. And in fact, religious people and I know you qualify because you're here on a Sunday morning, religious people especially need to take this warning 
to heart. Because yes, even in this church, there may be some of us who are trying to establish a righteousness of our own. I must be righteous, we think, because I come to church on Sunday, or because I give a lot of my money to charity, or because I serve in one of the ministries, or whatever. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad you do those things. You should. But never let it get out of your mind that doing these things is not what makes you righteous. Doing these things is not what makes you right with God. Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, and they didn't succeed in reaching it. And let me tell you, if they couldn't reach it, what hope do you have? You think you're righteous because you go to church most Sundays? Well, these guys kept a strict fast twice a week on top of observing the Sabbath. You think you're righteous because you give money? Well, the religious Jews of Paul's day tithed every part of their income, even right down to tithing the herbs growing in their herb garden. Anyone here do that? I didn't think so. All day long, religious Jews are thinking about God's commandments and how to keep them. And Paul bears them witness that they have that real zeal. You'd have to get up pretty early in the morning to out-zeal a religious Jew. I don't think many of us could do it. But here's the thing. Even if you could outperform the most religious Jew of Paul's day, it would do you no good. Even if you could outgive the most generous giver in history, even if you could outpray the most devoted prayer ever, it would do you no good. Because as you advanced farther and farther in establishing your own righteousness, you would only show yourself more and more ignorant of God's righteousness. You might convince yourself that you were a good person. You might win the adoration of all the people around you. But in the end, you would stumble over the stumbling block. Because all your best works would really only be a rejection of God's gift. Brothers, Paul says in chapter 10, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for the people who are trying to establish their own righteousness by works, is that they may be saved. Until, by faith, they make Christ the foundation of their righteousness, they're not saved, whatever they might think. But in God's mercy, it's not too late. It will be one day, but it's not yet. As yet, there is still time for them to be saved. Remember, Paul himself was once exactly this kind of religious Jew that he's talking about. Someone who thought of himself, as he tells us in another letter in Philippians chapter 3, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, blameless as to righteousness before the law. Until one day, God mercifully revealed to Paul that all that was worth nothing. It was worth nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. God had mercy on Paul when he was a religious Jew. He destroyed Paul's own sense of righteousness, and he replaced it with faith in Christ. And Paul's desire and his prayer for his fellow Jews is that God will do the same for them. God still wants to have mercy on religious Jews. And you know what? 
God also still wants to have mercy on religious Christians. Even on people who think that they're Christians, but really they don't know the difference between a righteousness that's based on works and a righteousness that's founded on Christ. If you, even you, have been seeking to establish a righteousness of your own by doing good works, by being a good Anglican, or by going to church, then hear God's invitation to you now. Just stop. Stop pursuing righteousness as if it were based on works. Because you will never reach it that way. You will never be good enough to earn what God gives. But if you abandon that false foundation, and you come to faith, if you come in faith to Christ, and you make Him the foundation, and depend on Him alone for your justification in God's sight, then you will not be put to shame. For, as Paul says in chapter 10, verse 4, at the very end of our passage, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. Now, that doesn't mean that Christ came to abolish the law of God. No, he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Christ is the end of the law in the sense that it is in him and him alone that the law finds its fulfillment. He's the end of the law because he makes it so that we no longer need to try and pursue the law as if it all depended on our own good works. Instead, in Christ, through the work of his Holy Spirit in our hearts, obedience and good works and zeal for God finally become what they should be. Not merely an outward show, Not a vain attempt to establish our own righteousness, but an expression of faith in God. We can do these good things out of a heart that's grateful to God for saving us by faith. And so in Christ, the righteousness described by the law actually comes to life in us for the first time. As the fruit, not of our own efforts, but of the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, pursue righteousness. Make righteousness your goal. Even a righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees. Make God's perfection your goal. Pursue righteousness. But for heaven's sake, don't pursue it as if it were based on works. Pursue it by faith. God has laid a stone in Zion. Take notice so that you don't stumble over it. Instead, make that stone the foundation of your life in the assurance that he will make you righteous and he will not put you to shame. Amen.